I'm your host, Kaylee, and I love my career as a venue manager and now owner. I'm a glutton for punishment, coffee addict, and an ambitious leader. I've seen and done some unglamorous things in this chosen career path, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Let's talk about the ups and downs of venue ownership, and I'll fill you in on the crazy stories, give you some knowledge on the nitty gritty details, and share my passion for this industry. Stick around, and I'm sure you're going to understand why operating a venue, although rewarding, is elegantly unglamorous. So it's been a month. I did not realize it had been a month since my last episode has posted. And I kind of feel bad. But then I realized I'm doing a podcast about venue management and ownership. And to be honest, life gets crazy. And you don't have a life half the time. And a lot of times, you know, we put things on the back burner just to get by. Um, It's part of the industry. A lot of times, um, you know, we figure out where we can cut corners and where we need to stay on track and what is going to be the most beneficial for the business. And so for a month, I had to put the podcast to the side because September is the craziest month for us. September and October in the Midwest for any weddings is a little crazy because it's harvest season, it's, you know, fall, and I don't know what it is, but October, September and October is the new May and June um, (laughs) because I just feel like I have the most weddings and events during those months. Um, For example, I am totally dreading September of 2022 because I have, I believe I'm up to nine events for September, 2022, which is good. That's good for business. But guys, I'm gro- we're growing way too fast for me to keep up. So, um, I I'm trying to catch my breath, get a hold of everything and hire some more staff. But I guess we're going to get there, uh, eventually. Uh, Some things, um, let's talk about, you know, story time and talk about some crazy things that have happened. Um, here's one of my things. Um, I I think it, I can't really pinpoint a wedding because I feel like this is actually a lot of weddings. Um, the lack of, the lack of attention to a contract is astounding like to me because just a couple weeks ago I had a groom who wanted to fight the contract in the middle of the wedding um listen and this this was all over something really small in our contract something that yeah it's not small but we make it known four times four times. We, we talked to you about this four times. One, we mention it at this time of contract signing. And let me explain what this thing is. Cake cutting. All right. So we're a catering company here within the venue and, but we allow out, we don't, we don't provide cakes. That's one thing we don't provide. We're a catering company. We're not a bakery. So 
the client is responsible for finding and maintaining their own cake or desserts or whatever it might be. And we tell them at the time of contract signing, we can cut your cake, but it costs additional because we are providing labor to do that. We are providing silverware. We are providing plates. We are providing the service. Like it, it's not free. And we didn't bake that cake. It's not a price that we include in our rental. It's not a price that we include in our catering. It could be anywhere from a simple, you know, sheet cake <laughs> to a three-tiered cake that needs to be deassembled and cut. And if you have ever cut cake in your life, it's not hard, but is a pain in the ass. <laughs> It is a pain. Um, it is messy. And unless you know what you're doing, you're going to make a mess out of it. And, um, you know, we tell them it's 75 cents a person for us to cut your cake. Because generally, being going based on a per person price will allow us to determine how much cake we're cutting. <laughs> um, given that they didn't way over order that much cake. Um, and also, it allows us to pay for plates and silverware based on the amount of people. Well, you know, we tell them at contract signing that if you want us to cut, our, cut your cake and you want us to provide silverware and plates and whatnot, that is 75 cents per person. And if you want us to provide silverware and plates, it's 50 cents per person because we still have to supply the plates and silverware. And we still have to bust all those and we still have to wash all those. That's on us. And that's labor. That is at least two hours, three hours of a one person labor. Especially if you have 150 to 200, we hand wash everything. So, um, you know, we mentioned this, you can decline the service and you can provide your own plastic plates and your own plastic silverware and whatnot and have somebody else cut your cake. You can decline the service. And it's all stated in the contract, what we charge, what we provide with that. And if you decline what you need to provide yourself. So the group comes up to my assistant manager and is like, hey, where's all the silverware? You cleaned up all the silverware off the table. And she explains, well, the silverware is for dinner. It is catered for dinner. We don't leave silverware on the dirty silverware on the table. We come around and bust tables and clean up tables after guests are done with dinner because who wants to have, you know, dirty plates and silverware all over the table? It's just hospitality. And she said, well, and he said, well, we need more forks. And she said, okay, well, I can get those for you, but I'm just going to let you know it's 50 cents per person that we'll have to take out of your damage deposit because that's what it was agreed upon in the contract. And he said, I don't care what that contract says. You're not charging me. And she said, well, unfortunately, then I'm not providing you silverware. Like, we have to charge that. And he said, you can say anything in that contract and you can just screw us over. And he is going off on my assistant manager, who is very calm, very patient, and very kind um, probably more so than myself. Cause I probably would not have dealt with his attitude <laughs> and, um, you know, he's going off on her and she's like, listen, you, the, here's the signed questionnaire that you fill out 30 days before where we ask you if you want the service and you 
signed it saying, no, you don't want the service. And we also described what would be in the, included in that service and what you would have to provide yourself if you decline. Then also here's the contract in which you went over, you know, with Kaylee and, you know, it says the same thing as well as your invoice that does not include a cake uh, cutting service. And all this stuff is confirmed beforehand. But I, you know, we will provide silverware and plates if we need to, if it's an emergency, but we're telling you it's 50 cents per person. And he just lost his mind, lost his mind over all of this. So what gets me is that people don't pay attention to the contract. And a lot of times I used to use an online system, especially during uh, COVID, to send my contracts where they could click sign. Well, I was finding that a lot of clients were not reading their contract. They were skimming it and they were click signing it. So instead, now I do not send out click sign contracts anymore. I actually will have the client come back into the office. I will have a 30 to 45 minute meeting with them to sign their contract. That means I go through the whole contract with them. I explain all the services to them. I answer any questions and I highlight specific sections that are most ignored. So that's my story time. Um, it's not really an actual story other than what happened a couple weeks ago. And, but what I've actually learned, I think it's a helpful tip for you to understand that people don't read their contracts and they don't care. And they think that you're just locking them into a contract and have full say when not, it's not a contract to just lock them in. It also locks you in. So, uh, to provide specific services. So let's get into today's topic. Okay, today's topic is defining your services and figuring out what you want to provide. What do you want to provide for your venue? And listen, this is not an easy task. And I think that it develops over time. I don't think you go into it actually knowing everything that you want to do. And it, it really starts to take shape. Now, you need some vertical expansion in your business if you want to keep improving and keep growing. And, and growth is very important um, to your business. Be, becoming stagnant becomes an issue with the improvement because Couples are constantly changing. We're finding new traditions, new trends, new things that they're looking for. So it's important that you also, you know, adapt with them. So the there's several different things that you could provide in your business. One, you could just be the venue. Let's say that you have a property um, and it's a beautiful property. So you're wanting to just rent out the property and maybe a building. Um, let's talk about your amenities for that building. Are you going to have heat and AC? That could be very important to your length of availability. So if you are an industrial building and let's say you're in Michigan 
and you have no heat or AC, then that means you're probably in a window of about, I would say, May to maybe mid to late October. That is your own only availability because in the winter, you can't have a building that's 30 degrees inside. Nobody's going to come. Um, nobody's going to want to freeze their butt off. Um, AC issue is more of an accommodation. It's more of, um, you know, I would say if you're in the South, you need AC. You got to have AC. Um, if you're, you know, Michigan, Indiana area, there's a lot of venues here that don't have AC. Um, and they, a lot of times they run on just fans. It, it really depends on the venue. Um, and sometimes clients are okay with that. If they're sacrificing AC, they're probably sacrificing it for more of aesthetics because they're wanting that industrial look or they're wanting that barn look and that those things can't really have AC unless, you know, and they want more of an open air venue, then they're probably not going to have AC or heat. So they take that risk of really, you know, what is the weather going to be like, you know? So are you providing that? Um, are you providing tables and chairs? Um, are you providing linens? Are you providing, um, different kind of furniture for your venue. So I believe that every venue should provide tables and chairs. Why do I say this? I say this because it's a very small investment versus the return. So tables and chairs, you can have, I think I have tables that are like 30 years old. Maybe those things have been done and paid for. And then now it has increased the value of my venue and I'm able to make a return on that. So, and it increases the demand because clients don't have to think about renting in all these items. It's one thing that's off their list, right? So in the basic minimum, even if you're a barn, even if you're an industrial venue, supply tables and chairs, supply tables and chairs, and do a setup of that. Have basic floor plans. Even if you hire one or two people to come in, you know, one day a week or two days a week to set those tables and chairs up, you know, that that's important because that's a service that you can charge for. Um, and it has very little cost to it. Um, I, listen, I know tables and chairs are expensive. I just bought new chairs. <laughs> I just bought new chairs for a venue and it is, it is expensive, but I can tell you how much of an increase in sales I've seen because the attractiveness is now better because I have better chairs um, chairs matter. I'm telling you chairs matter. Tables, not so much. Tables are not so much. So if you're looking for like a farmhouse table, I'm sorry, skip the farmhouse tables unless you're a barn because that's a trend right now. And to keep the return coming in over the years, who knows how long farmhouse tables are going to be a trend at, at 10 years, maybe who, I mean, did we ever think that acrylic chairs, I mean, see-through ghost chairs are a trend right now. Don't buy those damn things. Leave that to the rental company. You buy those, they're in style for three years and then they're out of style. So who knows if that farmhouse table is going to go out of style and now an acrylic table is going to be in style. 
You really don't know. So stick to the normal event tables. Um, stick to some pretty standard chairs. I think Chivari chairs are pretty nice. Um, and they are pretty formal. So if you have a more formal venue, that would probably fit the aesthetic better. I We did a classic wood folding chair, like a standard event chair, because it's our, our clientele can range from really rustic, you know, to more glamorous and more um, contemporary. So there's there's so many different things that can go into it. So try to stay as neutral as possible because then you can see the actual return of that. It'll be more flexible, but it really depends on your venue and your brand. So if you're, you're a barn and you're looking at cross backwood chairs, Listen, I think they might be in style for a while, but I would stick to a wood folding chair. Um, I would stick to folding tables. Round tables are a big thing right now, too. I mean, round tables have always been a big thing. So you can, it's pretty standard, have some round tables, have some long tables, have a floor plan set up for both of those based on the capacity size. So you get my, you get my drift on that. Um, so I think that's a pretty standard thing. If you're going to have a venue, provide the tables and chairs and provide a setup of those. Um, the amenities, are you going to set up the building or are you going to, are you going to clean up the building? Understand what your services are going to be. What is going to be included in your rental and what are you, you know, and how much are you wanting to be involved? Because if you're wanting to just rent out a barn and they, bring in their own stuff and their own tables and chairs and they set it all up and they clean it all up. That means that's one less thing for you to be responsible for and one less thing for the client to be mad at. <laughs> so um, that's how I always look at it. Like I'm like, oh, that's one less thing I have to worry about. And that's one less thing I can not have effed up and a client be mad at me. So trust me, I've messed up a floor plan a couple times and um, we're all human, right? So I get a mad, they're mad at me. It's my service. I take responsibility for that. So that means I got to have my ducks in a row and not mess up that floor plan because they, they're paying me to do it. Um, are you providing, now if you're getting more in depth, you know, are you providing linen? So you have a rental company that you're providing for. Um, are you ordering those in for a client? Are you hand, making them responsible for ordering in their own linens? Um, I do suggest requiring a somebody to use linens because plastic tablecloths are horrible for marketing, horrible for pictures, and just expect that you're going to have not a good return <laughs> from that wedding. So um, you wanna be able to use those pictures and you want every wedding to look beautiful. So you kind of have to give them the strong hand to use real linen. So you might say, okay, well, this is a company you have to use. We're supplying, we'll order those in. This is additional cost per table, per tablecloth, whatever. Um, or you could build it into the cost of your venue, which is what we've done. So we always give them the option of black or ivory linens. We set those up for them. So, um, you know, we're able to charge a little bit more for that because we have a little bit more labor in it. That's, you know, the gist of that. And 
you know, you get into what is the time of the rental? What is the, you know, is it 8 a.m. till 12 p.m. or 12 a.m.? What's your, what's your open time? What's your close time? And what are, do they get it for the whole weekend? Do they get it just for one day? You have to decide what you're going to do for your venue and what the rental is. Now you might get into, um, you might get into other services that don't have to just do with the venue ownership. Um, it, you might get into catering like we did. Um, we decided pretty early on after our first year, we had outside caterers come in because we just did not have the staff at the first year. We took over a business that was a, essentially was a catering company beforehand, but we just couldn't, we couldn't operate that because it was literally me. I was the staff. <laughs> I was one person. So we provided tables, chairs, linen, or I don't think we provided linen. So we had a couple, you know, a couple of weddings that had plastic tablecloths. And I can't, can't share any of those pictures because I don't want the rest of my my weddings to have plastic tablecloth. Um, but the, um, you know, the catering part of it. it took us a year for growth and we got into that later on and it was a huge increase in the profitability of our business and running a business and making sure that it was actually going to survive and make stay afloat and that was a key element so adding in that catering hiring in our own kitchen staff charging for that uh we luckily already had a full service kitchen because we the the old owners were caterers so we had the equipment we had all that there we just had to utilize it and get the staff in and develop the menus. And if you're providing catering, what type of catering are you providing? Are you doing a buffet? Are you doing uh, plated? Uh, how many staff members do you need? What are you paying your chef? What are you paying your kitchen servers? What are you paying your dishwasher? Um, what items do you need in your you know kitchen? Do you need china plates and silverware? And you got to shop for vendors. So who is your food supplier? And, you know, what is the pricing of your menu? There's so much that goes into that and details that you really have to focus in on. Then there's also bar service, which this could be a tricky one because uh, obtaining a liquor license is fairly difficult if you're a new business. Luckily, we bought into a liquor license. So we actually purchased a venue that had a three-way, no, I think we had a two-way liquor license and we upped that to a three-way. So now we are able to serve actual liquor and spirits. Uh, beforehand, I believe they were just beer and wine, uh, which was crucial to our business. Luckily, we were able to survive the first year because we did make all the sales off the bar. Uh, we hired in a bartender and we had to, you know, create the inventory of all the liquor and whatnot. And it, it is, uh, okay, listen, I have a love-hate relationship with having a bar on site. It's one of my biggest pain points is the bar uh, because, you deal with drunks all the time and it's your responsibility to deal with drunks. And I don't like drunk people. <laughs> I, I can't even stand a person who's tipsy. I don't drink myself because I have seen the effects, I guess, of alcohol and it doesn't interest me, but it's hard. <laughs> Having a bar is difficult and Dealing with the aftermath of a bar is difficult and dealing with the people is difficult. Um, 
because what happens is there are a lot of hidden rules when it comes to obtaining and procuring a liquor license. So you have to follow certain rules. I mean, we can only order and serve from what supplies we order from a distributor. We can't go to a store and buy alcohol. It's illegal for us. Um, we also can't have any outside alcohol on the property because if we can't control the consumption, which is our responsibility, we're not able to serve. So that has been a major issue for us. And um, locals thinking it's okay to bring in their own beer and bring in their own wine and their own liquor bottles. It's not okay. We're serving alcohol already. You have to buy it from the bar. We have to serve you. Or we can't serve at all because as soon as that person's drinking their own alcohol and becomes over-intoxicated, it's hard to prove that we didn't serve them. And so now we're responsible for that person and we never serve them a drop of alcohol. And I've been there. If you've listened to my past stories, you know of my situation with outside alcohol. So this is an issue. And a lot of times I, sh I will shut down the bar because I can't, if I can't control the consumption, I'm now responsible for all these people. And I can't, I can't be responsible for that. Um, the business can't be responsible for that. So we have to cover our butt and we put that on the clients to make sure that their guests know our rules. They're posted all over the building. You know, every door that you walk into says no personal alcohol, no underage drinking. And we control that and monitor that very closely. And I think people have finally gotten the point that we don't tolerate it after a couple events where I've had to shut it down because it's been so much outside alcohol. Um, so, you know, there's that and the alcohol, the, the bar service and the catering, which is most common for venues to have. But then you also get into decorations and floral services. So that's something that I, we have been branching into. And this year it actually blew up. I think I've done about 15 weddings this year that had floral services, which this is something I enjoy. It's not for everybody. If you're not a designer, you have no creative bone in your body. You're really just running a venue, catering a bar service. That's a very analytical point to have. Like it, it, that's a very analytical job. Um, when you get into the floral services, you also have to be analytical and creative at the same time. So which is me. I love to be creative. I love decor. I love design. I love home decor. Most of all, um, if I could go back to school and be an interior designer, I probably would. <laughs> I love home decor. Um, and I love designing and creating a space, which was probably my favorite part about creating a venue and remodeling was actually the design process. But, um, you know, if you get into that, maybe you hire a designer, but that, what I have to say about floral and decors is it takes up so much time. And when you have your hands in every single basket as one person, it's hard to be a designer as well because you, the weeks that I have any kind of decor, I set it up, I clean it up. I design the bouquets. Bouquets alone, a bride's bouquet alone will take me two hours. Two hours to just hand design. And I'll nitpick at it sometimes, you know? And one time I had a wedding that had 11 bridesmaids. It took me eight hours to do bouquets. Bridesmaids, 
and bride. And then the next day I did all the boutonnieres and I did all the corsages and I did all the decor out in the room because that was fresh garland on the tables. It was a lot. And I can tell you, I had to take off that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from any appointments because I had to focus on that. Now, if my decor continues to grow next year, I'm going to have to hire a decor team because I just can't do it. The inventory control of that, the amount of vases and votives and lanterns and bottles and I, candle holders and all kinds of stuff and runners and whatnot that I have is a lot. I have a closet that is from floor to ceiling full of totes that are just like votives and vases and whatnot. And then I also have silk flowers at my house, which I'm never doing silk flowers again. I have gotten rid of them. I am selling them. So maybe check out my page because I'll probably post them for sale because I'm done. I'm done doing silk flowers. I only do fresh flowers because of the storage of those and the maintenance and keeping those, um, the inventory control. There's a lot of just stuff you got to take care of and a lot of stuff you got to organize and trying to control that inventory is a little nutso. So yeah, it is a love-hate relationship, but it has benefited our business. It's benefited our clients. Um, and it's just created a little bit of a one-stop shop. So then you get into some full service venues that are offering DJ service in-house. So you pay the venue for the DJ. And a lot of times they'll either buy the equipment and hire their own DJ to actually work in-house or they will go ahead and they will um, hire and in, in contract in a DJ service to come in and work for them. Um, so there's that. They also have like contracts with photographers. So only photographers, they have like three selection of photographers that a client can choose from. And then that's their photographer for their wedding. It's really just a one-stop shop and they have like day of coordinators. They have everything there. And the only thing that the really, the client has to wor worry about is a tire. That's it. They just got to have their dress and the stuff that they're going to put on their body, you know? So it really depends on what you want to provide. I can't really give information on DJ service in-house. I can't really give information on photography service in-house or bakery, like baking cakes and stuff in-house because we don't do it. Those are things that I don't see the return necessarily. So, um, you know, I can also, I also see it being a little bit limiting on clients because those are the things that I find the most that people are wanting to shop around for, for DJs, photographers and bakery, you know, items, desserts. I think those three things are the one things that clients are really shopping around for and they want to find the best deal on. Um, a lot of times the music is really important to them. They have a specific one that they're DJ that they're wanting to have. So I'm not going to limit that. Um, and the restrictions that I have on that is pretty open. So really decide what you want to do for your services and how many, how many pots you want your hands in, because the more that you have, you're involved in the more responsibility that you're going to have and the more opportunity that you're going to have to F up. I mean, because it, it, there's more variables to control. 
So pick and choose what's going to be the best for you based on how much time you want to put into your business, how much money you need to make in order to keep your business and your salary afloat. Um, we are looking into expanding into limo service and trolley bus service and things like that because I really want my husband to work full time at the venue instead of he works full time elsewhere. And I, I just want him to work full time here. I want this to be a family ran business. And so we're looking into vertical expansion and growing our business even further to bring in more revenue to support a salary for him um, and to support and grow the business and uh, expand. We've looked into um, we've looked into orchards because our business is called the Eden. We've thought about apple orchards and cider and making our own cider. We've thought about flower, you know, you cut flower gardens and things like that to where you know, we grow sunflowers and roses and whatnot, and we let people come out and cut their own bouquets and charge per stem for that. So we've thought about it, but the labor cost on all that is crazy. And I can't do it. My hands are already in enough pots, catering, bar service, decor, venue management. Like I have enough on my plate. So definitely looking into vertical expansion by hiring my husband to handle those things. Um, and I think that he'd be great. You know, I think he'd be a great party bus driver. He's, he's kind of got that personality that he could deal with the, you know, people who are drunk and he's kind of sarcastic and funny and, yeah, so I think he could handle it, um, but you know that we're looking into the cost of that, the insurance and whatnot, and we have to analyze those things before we add a service to our business. So decide what you want to do. Decide what your services you're going to provide, and it it doesn't have to be all at once. You don't have to start off as a full service venue. You can grow into it. You can add services along the way that are going to fit your needs and your venue. So just take your time, think it through, don't rush into anything, do the math, do the research, figure out what's going to work best for you and what's going to be profitable because what's profitable in Indiana might not be profitable in California. So, um, yeah. All right, guys, I think that's it for today. I hope that you learned some new tidbits of information and you can apply this to your business. All right. I will see you next week. I hope. <laughs> Bye. Do you know another venue owner, event professional, or maybe an entrepreneur that you think will benefit from this podcast? Why don't you share it with them and help me inspire others? Stay informed by following or subscribing to this podcast. You'll be notified each time an episode is posted. You can also follow me for more tips and inspiration on Instagram at Elegantly Unclamorous Podcast or on our website at elegantlyunclamorous.com. I'll see you next time.